Father, thank you for being our provider. You are our provider. We thank you for your goodness. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are no man's debtor. And you always provide. We have no fear. We can uh, trust in you to provide. As Huxon Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Uh, you are no man's debtor. You always give. You provide so that the work here can pass on to the future generation because the church will outlive all of us. And we thank you for those who have sacrificed in the past to make this building possible for us to use. And now some of us in the next generation ought to think about passing on to the future generation and investing in the future. We thank you. Bless this morning as we come to your word. Speak to us. Stimulate our mind. Warm our hearts. And help us in every way to want to walk in obedience. Thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just get my, this iPad right. Seems to be not moving. All right. We are looking at the book of James. We've been studying the book of James. And today we are down to chapter 4. If you are like me, reading through the book of James is like having a spiritual beating. Uh, but it's a good beating. It's a good uh, thing. Sometimes we need a little bit of harsher and straightforward words. No mucking around. Just to touch on the things of the heart. And uh, today we come down to this passage whereby we are talking about fights. Let me just first and foremost read through this passage to you first so that you can have a big picture of where I'm coming from. And we're going to give you three points uh, from this sermon uh, to help us digest and go through it. I don't have uh, the, the back part of the PowerPoint, so I'm going to ask Russell if you could help me to just uh, uh, move through these verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us? But He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and will. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Fights, conflicts, war are a common thing, not just on the larger scale, but even in a smaller scale, uh, in, at our home, at church, in community, in society, we often see many, many conflicts and war. You know, it has been estimated that in the last 4,000 years, there have been less than 300 years without a major war. 4,000 years history, 300 years without a major war. That let some people say that during that 300 years without any major war, they were just basically reloading and planning the next move. In the Old Testament, the word violence in Hebrews simply means Hamas. So the word Hamas simply means violence. Was used 70 times and often carrying with it a sense of extreme wickedness. And in the 400 years during the intertestament period, which is between Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years period, there were at least five bloody battles for the possession of Jerusalem. And over one million Jews were massacred when the Roman Emperor Titus invaded the city in AD 70. And in the subsequent, subsequent century, we saw no reduction in humans' appetite for aggression. And one authority states that during the period of 1480 to 1941, Great Britain was involved in 78 major wars. France in 16, Spain 64, Russia 61, Austria 52, Germany 23, USA 13, China 11, Japan 9. And the 20th century was hailed by many as the beginning of a millennium of peace. But this empty idealism turned sour in 1914. In World War I, in four short years, 1914 to 1980, believed by some to be the war that ends all war, left 30 million dead on its battlefields. And then to help avoid a repetition of this madness, the League of Nations was founded in 1920 with the maintenance of peace as its primary aim. And yet, less than 20 years later, almost all of its members in the League of Nations were caught up in the Second World War, which eventually cost over 90 million lives on the conservative sides. It could be more. And then in 1946, the League of Nations was disbanded in the favor of United Nations, established with the aim of freeing succeeding generation from what it is called the scotch of war. But the silenced guns of global conflict were followed by the so-called Cold War. 
There has not been a day since the end of Second World War when hundreds have not been killed by military action. Not to mention the untold millions of Chinese who lost their lives during the Cultural Revolution, Cambodia killing fields, genocide in several African countries and elsewhere. Endless conflict in the Middle East and civil war on virtually every continent. Dictators such as Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Mao Zedong, Kim Il-sung, Augusta Pinochet, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, Robert Mugabe, and on and on and on. And did you know that in 1994, 7th of April, in the span of just six weeks, some half a million, 500,000 people from Rwanda, one-fifth of the country population, were killed when civil war broke out between the Hutus and the Tutsis. And in the first month alone, fishermen in neighboring Uganda reported as many as 20,000 bodies have floated down the Kajira River into Lake Victoria. And at the height of the conflict, 15,000 men and women and children were butchered and hacked to death on church premises on a single day. Albert Einstein, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1921 and whose theory of relativity has revolutionized man's thinking about the nature of time and space, he made this comment on the threat of nuclear warfare. He said, it is not a physical problem, but an ethical one. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart, its explosive power for evil. And so as you can see, conflict around the world, it is happening all over and it still will escalate until Christ returns again. And even in the church where we preach about peace and talk about Jesus ushering the peace, uh, it's no difference. Sometimes we idealize the early church we think it must have been great to be part of the first century church in the book of Acts after Jesus resurrected, ascended to heaven and then the Holy Spirit came and then the gospel preached and then the formation of the church in the book of Acts. It must be so powerful, so great to have such sweet fellowship with the early church believers. But the reality is, if you really understood the New Testament, you read through the letters that Paul actually wrote, uh, the early church was made up of people and people haven't changed over the centuries. People are pretty much the same. As we often say, we are all cut from the same piece of cloth. And therefore, the gospel must be the same to every culture, every race, every part of the world. Because humanity, we are the same. Same problem, same solution. Which is the heart of the problem. Which is the problem of the heart. So many first century churches wrestle with conflicts between the members as well. No difference. Even here in the 21st century, most of the churches face struggle too. Let me just give you a few details. The Corinthian church, you read through the book of Corinthians, it had divided into faction. Therefore, Paul has to address because certain group of people think that they are more spiritual than others because they speak in tongues and they esteem this gift more than the other part of the gifts and they look down on the other Christian and Paul has to write that to straighten out everything. The Philippian church had two women who couldn't get along. And the conflict was severe enough, Paul actually mentioned them by name. Do you know who are they? Two. Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. 
Go and look at it. Euodia and Sintize or something like that. It's Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Uh, the Galatian believers were biting and devouring each other. In chapter 5, verse 15, let me read the verse to you. Paul said, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It is like that. And Paul began the practical section of Ephesians with an appeal to unity and tolerance and love between the me members. And even Paul himself, writing all his word, he has disagreement with Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. And they have such serious disagreement on how to go about doing the mission work. They parted ways. They parted ways. And he turned away John Mark as well because John Mark was, was, couldn't take the mission journey and he turned away John Mark. But later on, Paul called John Mark back and commanded. John Mark is the one that wrote Mark's Gospel who eventually found Peter to be his mentor because Peter denied Jesus three times and Mark abandoned Paul. They kind of find some common ground and, and he was mentored by Peter and Mark Gospel is actually from Peter. Mark just wrote it down and all the accounts is from Peter. And even in the book of James itself, we have been covering over the last few weeks and months, uh, James implies several different kinds of potential conflicts in the church, in the early believers, class wars, and therefore James has to say, don't show favoritism to the rich. And maybe in Australia, we say, don't show favoritism to the poor. Uh, don't discriminate against the rich as well. So the point is, is don't. Not one over the other. So there's class wars that James has to straighten out. There's employment wars that we come to chapter 5 where the rich are not paying the poor people for their hard work. And then there are church fights that I mentioned about the, the church service. One person used God's word, says this, and the other person stood up and countered it with another God's word. And there were fights. In the church, personal wars, as we come down to verse 11 and 12 of this chapter that we have just read to you, they are slandering one another, they are judging one another, they are seemingly thinking that they are judged, lawgiver, and James has to come in and straighten them up. And therefore, wars, uh, conflicts is always happening within our hearts. And here in this passage, Paul gives us three points. Let me just give to you three things here. I want to show you the symptoms of our conflicts. And then I want to show you the, uh, not just only the symptoms, but the, uh, what is the word, uh, sources. The source of our conflicts. And then finally, James also gave us the solutions to our conflict. And so I hope we can learn something from this because we all struggle with conflict. They are constantly battle within us and between us and others and it is always something that we need to look at. So let me just uh, begin by giving you the symptoms of uh, our conflicts which is from verses 1 to 3. It says here, uh, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Why we quarrel with people, it actually is not about others. Essentially, as we really evaluate, it is ourselves. You see, it is us because you, you have no peace within your heart. It just overflows out and using others sometimes as a punching bag. Download your frustration on others. Uh, unfortunately, 
when it is within you that is battling? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covered, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And therefore, it's coming from within you that is struggling, that is battling. And therefore, you just quarrel. You just can't manage your emotion, managing your inside of you because you cannot get what you want. And therefore, you fight. You want to get what you want. It's dominant. You want to get what you want. You want to rule. You want to have that thing and you can't have it. And therefore, there's conflict going on. And James said, well, maybe you didn't ask. Even if you ask, he said, you ask with wrong motive. He said, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Why? Because so that you can spend what you have on yourself. You're asking God to those things that you actually want for yourself. You're not praying and asking for the benefit of whether others or for the good of the community or what it's all about just me, I, me, myself, this is the unholy trinity. Uh, because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you ask with wrong motives, because you want to spend what you ask on your pleasures for yourself. And so here, James' point is, the symptoms of all this thing, you even haven't even come to the sources, the, the outflow of all this inside of you and all that, is just the symptoms. It is something that we have to look into our own heart because at the end of the day, the key problem in this part of it is selfishness. And therefore, Jesus always calls us to selflessness. I don't know whether how many of you watched the Rockies movie, uh, Sylvester Stallone. I followed maybe a few. There was, a sh there was once he was training uh, his good friend's son way long after they have retired. He was training his friend's son on boxing and one day standing in front of the mirror and uh, Rocky, which is Sylvester Stallone, looked into the mirror and through the mirror looking at his friend's son and he said, you see this guy here? He said, that's the toughest opponent you're ever going to have to face. I believe that's true in the ring and I believe that's true in life. The toughest opponent is ourselves. The toughest opponent is not out there, it's ourselves. And every sport, anybody who plays sports knows that. Any uh, professional athlete knows that the enemy is within. You have to conquer yourself. That's why Edmund Hillary, the first man who scaled Mount Everest, he said, it is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. It is not the mountains we conquer, but ourselves. And so the way to resolve conflict with others is not to win the war with others. Rather, it is to wage war against those powerful forces that are waging war in your soul. And so here, James begins by saying, well, the first, the, the, the symptoms, it's not even the source yet, we come to the source. The symptoms of all these things that you're struggling with is there is something inside of us that is battling, that's battling. Unless we straighten that thing out, then only you can have fine peace and, and conflict will begin to subside. So let me just quickly move on now uh, to the sources of conflicts, which is verse 4 and 6. Here, James begins to analyze. Yes, you have conflict with others, you wage war with others. is because you wage war within yourself. And you wage war within yourself 
is because you wage war with God. You're having battle with God. He said that is actually the source of our conflicts. Unless you get that right, your interpersonal relationship and within yourself, you cannot find peace. And here he goes on and says, do you adulterous people? He said, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Here, James is basically trying to point out to them that your, your, your main issue, the source of our issue is because you are rebelling against God. You haven't made peace with God yet. You have no peace. You have make, you have, if you have not made peace with God, you cannot experience the peace of God. And when you don't have the peace of God, you cannot be a peacemaker. It flows like that. Make peace with God, you experience the peace of God, and then you can be a peacemaker. Which in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called the sons of God. Sons of God meaning you're partaking the character of God. You reflect who God is. And here, James is very blunt and say, well, you adulterous people. So when we are love the world more than we love God, we commit spiritual adultery in the sense. He said, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes enemy of God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be an enemy of God. And here, James finds the root cause of every war, internal or external. And remember, James is writing to Christian. He's not writing to non-Christian. He's basically saying, Christian, when you become a Christian, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have to then take on what this belief means. Coming under the Lordship of Christ, He's our Master, following after Him. He's our God. And now we put beside that a song we sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the, no, the, the cross before me, uh, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. And verse 5 is an incredibly difficult verse to unpack. And there is no... Uh, uh, one have a definitive uh, position on that because the original text is so difficult to translate it into English. But there are a few options. Here, uh, James went on to uh, expound on this and says that, do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. The issues there is the word spirit, whether he's referring to the Holy Spirit or whether he's referring to the, the spirit of jealousy in the sense. But I take the position that basically James is trying to say that God is a jealous God who will not share his allegiance with another. In other words, we cannot serve two masters. We belong to God. We belong to God. Holy Spirit whom God caused to dwell in us, it does not originate the lust and jealousy which cause strife. Rather, He yearns over us with jealousy for our entire devotion to Christ. And therefore, we cannot be 
friend with the world. We belong to God, entirely belong to God. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We can live in the world, but we cannot allow the world to mold and shape us and our values and our worldviews and all that being defined by the world. But we ought to be defined by God's relationship with God. And so here, James, uh, and then he went on to say, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. God gives us more grace. So here, he started off by saying, the war battle within you is because of something in you. You war with others because you have war within yourself. And then, second point, you war within yourself is because you're war against God, you're battling against God. You have never fully come under the Lordship of Christ yet. You have not. You believe in Him, but you're kind of half-half. You have not completely given in to Jesus. And therefore, you have no peace. You're still conflicting. You still a lot, want a lot of things of this world. And because of that, you have conflict within you. And you strive, you fight, you quarrel, you go against others. Because you have conflict within yourself and you have conflict within yourself is because you have not made peace with God yet. And as a result, there's no peace. It's constantly boiling inside of you. And therefore, James went on to finally give us a couple of solutions to our conflict. And he gave us four here, four here uh, of the solutions to this battle, this conflict, this war within our own heart. First and foremost, he says, submit yourselves. So, well, this is what you have to do. To overcome all this, you have to submit yourself to God. You have to submit yourself to God. Literally, the word submit means get into your proper rank. Get into your proper rank. Can you imagine every private or corporal or sergeant behave like a general? There's going to be trouble. This means that we must be subject to Him, ready to listen to Him, ready to obey Him because He's our Master. He's our Lord. Don't fight against God. We must be tender and contrite and not proud and stiff neck. I, sometimes I lead Bible study in the, not, not in this church, in my previous church, among quite a large number of young people. And many times I walk away at the end of my Bible study session, I say, am I leading Bible study to Christians or non-Christians? I say, I'm actually leading a Bible study to Christians, but the way of the discussion goes, it is as if I'm leading a Bible study with a non-believer. It's different kind of asking type of question. Christians always ask, explore Bible study, uh, you know, explore, grow, and all that. But, uh, but sometimes I leave Bible studies almost as like challenging God's Word all the time. It's challenging, rebelling against what God's Word say. And one young guy in my previous year, I'm just not happy just because the Bible says so. I say, is it a Christian or not Christian gathering, Bible study? I have no problem if it's just a, a non-biblical, alpha course kind of setting. But it's a, it's a true, normal Christian Bible study group. Uh, that cause because they have not really learned to submit to God, submit to the authority of God's Word, and therefore they're constantly agitated 
when we hear something of God's word say that doesn't agree with our emotion, doesn't agree with what we want to do, and therefore we rebel against that. And so, well, James' solution is well, to avoid all these kind of internal conflict and struggles and war is you must learn to submit to God. Until you learn to submit to God, your war will continue. Your, your rebellions within you will continue to persist and you will never have peace within your own heart. And that is why when a person who knows how to submit to God, then as believers, we know how to submit ourselves to one another. And therefore, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, isn't it? Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you know how to submit yourself to God, you know how to submit yourself to one another. And when you know how to submit yourself to one another, there is peace, there's harmony, there's lesser conflict because you respect each other. You talk not demeaning another person. There is a form of respect, a mutual submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even though you don't respect the person, you respect the position. You may not like the Prime Minister, but I respect the Prime Minister position. I may not like the Premier as a person, for example. I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm just saying if. But I will respect the position of a person. I would not throw eggs on them or cake or whatever. You know, uh, I wouldn't do this kind of thing because you respect the position that they hold. And this is a democracy country. We've got to learn to respect the position as well, even you don't like the person. And we will have mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. So James' first solution to this kind of conflict, this kind of war, is submit to God. When we submit to God, then things will begin to happen. Secondly, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christian, we believe in devil. I hope you do. <laughs> it's real. It is real. The devil is real. It's right throughout scripture. He's behind every war that we have. We do this we resist the devil by closing our ears and hearts to his suggestions and temptations. We do it by using the scripture as the sword of the spirit. How did Jesus resist the devil in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation account? How did Jesus resist that? Scripture. You read through three times. Every suggestion that Satan gives to Jesus, three times Jesus knocked it back with God's word. It is written. It is written. It is written three times by quoting God's word. And we've got to be serious about that because Peter said the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for to devour someone. One strong move. He comes in. Waiting. Have you seen all this National Geographic kind of channel where you see animals, you know, lion or tiger trying to prowl on this deer and whatever animals and just go after it. Resist the devil. You say, well, in order to have peace and resolve conflict, you submit to God and when you submit to God, you resist the devil. Don't let him put thoughts into your mind. Our mind is very important. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. 
Don't just look after your physical body, exercise, what to eat and all that. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Because as Sigmund Freud said, actions are thoughts in rehearsal. Actions are thoughts in reaction. We consume that in our meditate on it and then it flows out into our lives. So we have to learn to guard our mind and fill our mind with God's word. Thirdly, he said, draw near to God and he will come near to you. The third way to have peace is draw near to God. Come to him daily. Come to him. And how do we draw near to God? Say, wash your hands, you sinners. Purifies your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hand. Get your sins forgiven. God forgives your sins. Come to Him. Remember, He's talking about Christians, right? He's not writing to non-Christian. Christians sing, come to Him. Cleanse. Rededicate your life to God again and again and again. Rededicate. Keep your mind and your heart cleansed and forgiven, clean. Don't uh, wait. Confess only once a year or something like that, you know. Get it right every day. Get it right. As uh, Ephesians 4 says, isn't it? Uh, don't let your, your anger, don't sleep with your anger. Get it right. Get it right. It, the idea is to, 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 to cleanse it. Cleanse your hands. When you draw near to it, you cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. The word pure is not just only talking about uh, pure as in clean. Pure can mean single-minded. If I say to you, this is pure gold, meaning to say it is unmixed. Unmixed. It is pure gold. And this is the word here, purify. You have to be single-minded. Therefore, he said, you double-minded. They are not pure because they are double-minded. They are trying to serve both God and world in a sense. And therefore, here, you could be single-minded. Don't be friend with the world. So how do we draw near to God? Cleanse your hands. Get your sins forgiven. Purifies your hearts. Be single-minded in your devotion to God. In the uh, 2010 New York Times magazine issue, do you know how, how much a heart is cost? A literal heart. If you want a heart transplant, literal, okay, it will cost you 864, 700,000 US dollars. Almost a million uh, US dollars to procure, transplant, and maintain with immunosuppressant drugs. Yet the most lasting heart transplant you ever will receive is the one Jesus performs on you when you surrender your life to Him. So draw near to God. J.C. Rye, he says this about someone who is pure in heart. He said, a man who is pure in heart is a man of one thing. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases men or gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets praise, for all this the pure in heart cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. Purity of heart, single-mindedness. Purify your heart. Fyodor Dostoevsky, 
the Russian novelist said, it is not the brains that matters the most, but that which guides them. It is not brains that matter the most, but that which guides them, the character, the heart, is guiding our brains. And so purify your heart. Draw near to God. Say, you want to get rid of conflict, war within yourself and others? You submit to God. You resist the devil. You draw near to God. And finally, he says, sorry, there's more to uh, drawing near to God. Uh, he said, grieve, mourn, will, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Truly, truly heartfelt repentance often uh, come from the heart. Many people only regret or a deeper level of regret is a remorse. But the real, real biblical call is not just regret or remorse, but repent. Because regret only touches your mind. Oh, I've done something wrong. Regret only touches your mind. Remorse touches your heart. But repentance touches your will. It touches your will. It's not just only your mind and your heart. You just feel, oh, I've done some wrong thing. It touches your will that you turn around completely. And uh, therefore, this is true repentance in the sense. The next last one, in order to... Uh, uh, find peace and, and, and in our heart is humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of God, here it says. Uh, and He will lift you up. Isn't it a wonderful uh, uh, assurance when we humble ourselves, uh, God will lift us up. God said when you go down, He will lift us up. When we try to exhort ourselves, we will go down. The way to go up is to go down for believers. It is possible to submit outwardly and not be humble inwardly. It is possible. It is possible to submit outwardly and not be humble inwardly. And therefore, true mourning of our sins is how we can humble ourselves before God. And the end result of such humility is that God will lift us up. Humility is always the path to resolving conflict. Humility will rightly value God above self and therefore the pull of the world system will lose its luster. Humility will always cause us to pursue godliness in the midst of conflict. When there's conflict, if you're humble before God, you will not just only want to ensure that you're right. You think about that person. Uh, true, they, someone said that the, the first duty of true love is to listen. Uh, true love always listens. So humility will also cause us to pursue godliness in the midst of conflict. It will help us confess our sin before man and God and will also assist us as we strive to continue pleasing God in the midst of inevitable human conflict. So God has given us a, a solution to the war, in the, war in, the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether a cosmic conflict or a family conflict, there is but one true and eternal solution to war. There will never be peace without the Prince of Peace. That, this may sound simplistic, but it is true. 
History continues to testify to wars and rumors of more wars, but one day Christ will come again and usher in the millennium of peace when sword will be beaten into plowshares and the lion will lie down with the lamb. He will one of these days. And so here we see James pointed out to us about our struggles, all of our struggles whether there's external war or internal war, whether there's conflict at home or in the church, there's always this battle that's going on. And James said, well, it's because of yourself. It's because of that. You have not found peace yet. You have not found peace yet. He said, when you find peace within yourself, make peace with God, then you can experience the peace of God. And when you experience the peace of God, then you can truly be a peacemaker. Please understand the word peacemaker. Oftentimes we define peace as a very passive activity. Just like don't address it and sweep it under the carpet. Keep quiet, don't dress up. You only stir up things. Keep quiet. No, it's not. The word maker, peacemaker, is not peace faker. Peacemaker, make is a very active word. It's like you make a cake. You make something happen. Peace is a very active word. Sometimes you even have to create war to find peace in a sense. Sometimes you have to go down to the root of the problem to trash out with your spouse or your children or your parents or what you do. Talk it out. Maybe seemingly war, but you dare to open it up and work it through and then eventually you can find peace. Proverbs 16 verse 7 says, When a man's way are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him and so i hope and i pray uh, that uh, these practical words from james uh, in addressing his community will also be a source of encouragement to each one of us in dealing with conflict in our own lives uh, whether it's at war with others whether it's at war within ourselves and james finally said well the main problem is because you're at war with god you have not really submit yourself to him when you submit yourself to Him, then things will begin to come to fruition. Let me close with uh, reading you this famous song that we are all quite familiar with. And that is by Francis of Assisi. This is one of the first few Christian songs that I learned as a young boy attending a Catholic school back in Singapore. Uh, I wasn't a believer but I attended a Catholic school and I remember the priest uh, during chapel time uh, he sang this song make me a channel of your peace uh, Lord where there is hatred uh, let me bring your love uh, where there is injury Lord your pardon and Lord where there is doubt uh, true faith in you O Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Where there's despair in life, uh, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, only light. And where there's sadness, ever joy. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. 
It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in giving to all men that we receive. And it is in dying they are born to eternal life. Lord, this is our prayer this morning to you. Uh, thank you for the word of James that are often so relevant and so practical and each one of us can relate to about conflict. We have many conflicts. We are waging war on every side, whether in a cosmic scale or our personal life. Some of us, we are struggling. We have no peace in our heart. Therefore, we are getting it on others. It's because we don't have peace within us. And we are using others as a punching bag when it is us that is the real issue. And we need to deal with the person that's inside of us. We need to really have a hard look into our own heart and come before you and say, Lord, I submit my life to you. I'm not going to rebel against you anymore. I'm going to come under the Lordship of Christ. Submit yourself to your authority and to find real peace in our heart. And when we make peace with you, we can experience your peace. And when we can experience your peace, we then can be a true peacemaker. Reconciling this world to you. This is our ministry. Thank you, Lord. I know it's not easy, maybe a bit simplified way today in expressing people's problem. There are many people with many conflicts. Lord, may you minister to each one of them here today. May they find peace in you. May they make progress in moving towards making peace with others. And truly, truly, Lord, and when we do that, we begin to really live that kind of genuine, abundant life that you want us to live. Thank you, Lord. Bless each one of us as we wrestle with you. Uh, be with us. Watch over us. Because we know you love us, you care for us, and you will only want the best for us. And may you bless each one of us as we seek to live for you. We thank you. We bless you. And Lord, we want to say we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we're going to sing the closing hymn? With all I am. Uh, I know.